For anyone who might just be joining us this morning, first of all, welcome. We're glad to have you here, and we hope and pray that you already have experienced God's love surrounding you and you feel welcomed. We have, as of late, been working through chapter 40 of Isaiah, this incredible word of comfort that God is giving to his Israelites, uh, covenant members, during their time of exile. This morning, we are up to verses 6 through 8 of that text, which will be on the screen behind me, or you can look it up in your pew Bibles on page number 712. prophet Isaiah continues under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week when we looked at verses 3 through 5, it ended with a statement, For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And I thought at the time that was such a great lead-in to that statement we always make that we just did again. It's acknowledging that this is the word of the Lord and thanking God together. But in many ways, the essence of the message this morning is, why is that important? Why do we need to hear to acknowledge that this is God's word to us? So when talking of people of previous generations, I often hear them lament the good old days, especially those good old days when a person's word was their bond. Meaning that if someone made a promise to you, or if you were making a business arrangement or had a disagreement with a neighbor, you talked about it and you shook hands because you came to an agreement just by statement, you could trust that since they said it, they would follow through on that. And that certainly isn't the case today. Whenever you're getting involved in any kind of an arrangement or agreement, you've got to have these long contracts that are laid out, looked over by lawyers, and then you've got to put your signature on the bottom of it. It's notarized, making sure that it was actually you that signed the document, and it's looked over, analyzed, and here is that piece of paper that proves this is the agreement that we came to. And we have to get all of that involved because the reality is, I don't trust you, and you don't trust me. And the reason why we have to do all of that is because all of us have had those experiences where someone has given us their word, where we made a decision based on that word. We got involved in a business arrangement, or we made choices and prepared for certain things, and then all of a sudden when we act on the word that that person gave to us, they forgot what they said. Or they disagree about what they said. And that's why we have to get all of those things involved and all of those arrangements laid out. Constantly broken promises, a lack of trust in each other does a lot of harm to people and to society. Who can I really trust? And as I'm trying to navigate this world, when you make promises to me, can I believe it? 
or should I be skeptical of it? Now, in truth, as much as those good old days are fondly remembered, the reality is you never could fully trust somebody's word. And so all the way back in the scene of the Israelites, what we have been looking at as of late, they hear these great promises that we have been reading over the last little bit in the introduction to Isaiah chapter 40. Promises of this word of comfort that their sins have been pardoned, that their warfare is over, that God is preparing a way for them to return back to their homeland and back to him. But as much as they hear those promises, they must have, as we suggested earlier, been asking that question, can I trust it? Is this just Isaiah trying to keep us motivated, spouting out these optimistic thoughts of a, of a hope on a future that we could look forward to, trying to keep us going? Or can I actually believe that this could happen? And when you're desperate for hope, as the people word, were, those are scary questions to ask. Well, with those questions, again, in the mind of the people of Israel, Isaiah quotes, a voice calls him to cry, and he asks, well, what shall I cry? And what the answer he hears is the message that we have for this morning. It's twofold. The first and the longer part of that message is, all flesh is grass, and all of the beauty is like the flower of the field. Grass and flowers, they're all over the place. And they are beautiful. They fill our lives with that beautiful green color and, and the colors of flowers that we get to enjoy. It's part of the many reasons that we look at God's creation and we marvel at his design. But it's only temporary. And we all know that as beautiful as flowers look for a moment, it is just that, a moment. And very quickly, those flowers will drop their petals. They will be eaten by animals. They will be burned in a fire. Or as the seasons change, so will the flowers just disappear. And the analogy is that that is exactly what our lives are like. All flesh, all life, all human endeavor is just like this. It is temporary in its beauty, and it will fade quickly. Now, on the one hand, if we are remembering that this is supposed to be a message of comfort for these people, that's not a message that sounds very comforting at all. It's very sobering and humbling to be reminded of the fact that everything that is important to you and all of the efforts that you pour into your life, trying to manage your household, your businesses, your careers, the effort, the stress, the sweat, and the labor that you pour into those things, none of it will last. It's like the grass of the field that will disappear quickly. And sadly, it's true. Uh, let me give just one quick example to think through. Our current president of the United States is the 46th president. And all of us would recognize that in the 250 years of our nation's setting, that's been probably one of the most, if not the most prestigious positions in all of the world for anyone to achieve. And 46 different people have done it. 
But how many of those 46 people who have achieved the greatest positions in the land could you name? Five? Fifteen? Half of them? I was thinking, if I locked the doors and says, we are not allowed to leave this room until all of us together come up with all 46 presidents, no internet allowed, I wonder if we'd ever leave. And that's just coming up with their names, not mentioning any of their accomplishments or achievements. And so if those 46 people who have achieved the greatest title that our world has known for a long time are so quickly forgotten, what about you? How long are your achievements, your accomplishments, your stresses going to be remembered? goes quickly and it disappears. If it's true for them, that's true for our accomplishments, and that is not always a very comforting thought. But as soon as we think about ourselves, where we can find comfort in this truth is that it isn't just true for ourselves, but that is true for all human endeavor, all flesh, it says. And in some ways, that is comforting to these people. And the reason it's comforting for the people of Israel in exile was because of who they were up against. Yes, it could be humbling and depressing to think about how limited we are, but that also means that the great empires that they were fighting against, that felt like they were manipulating and controlling them, Assyria and Babylon, they too are on the clock. Those people would also see their empires crumble and fall. They too were limited and would come to an end. As much as there was talk about them being too big to fail, or it's obviously a much more modern statement, their power was limited and temporary. And that's not just a proverbial statement of truth, a, well, here today, gone tomorrow kind of a thought. Instead, all of this was subject to the control of God. Verse 7 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. God was in control of the rise and the fall of empires. The success and failure of battles were all under his directing hand. His breath brought life, and it also brought death. But let's not drift too far from the basic point being made. When you're looking for something to be able to trust in, you are right to not put your trust in human accomplishments. They are all temporary. People go back on their word and you cannot count even the fact that the great institutions of today are going to be around tomorrow. And the whole point of recognizing that is to contrast that observation about the futility of humanity to the endurance and permanence of God's word, which can be trusted. Now again, on the one hand, this is a lesson that Israel should already have learned up to this point. You see, for as often as we think about the prophets as those who looked to the future and foretold something that was going to happen later on, 
In reality, many of the prophets, including Isaiah, were more looking back to the past and seeing what God had promised in his word and then applying that word to their current context as they looked forward to the future. Let me explain what I mean by that. So after the Israelites are led out of slavery in Egypt, and just before they go into that land that God had promised to their ancestor Abraham, Moses pauses and he prepares the people for entering into that land in this great sermon preserved for us in the book of Deuteronomy. And in particular, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's divided in half where the first part of that chapter, Moses or God through Moses explains God's desire for you as you live in this promised land is that you will be obedient children to him, a light to the other nations. And when you obey God, you will be blessed in this land. But then the chapter takes a turn. And it also warns the people that when and if they wander from God, when they disobey him, when they do not serve him as they have been called, they will not live in this land forever. And God will bring judgment upon them. And particularly, Deuteronomy 26, 37, 36 and 37 specifically says, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, and you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. And so when earlier in the book Isaiah is calling the people to repent, He's doing so because he's seeing that they aren't obeying God's word. And they're saying, remember what God said. If we don't obey his word, we will be exiled from this land. So we better repent. And when the people don't repent, God is true to his word. And they do lose their land. Their kingdom is destroyed and they are sent into exile. God's word had proven true. Unlike humans, God never speaks lightly. His word is to always be taken seriously and directly. He never speaks in vain. And as much as that was a hard lesson to learn in the past, the same idea was the great foundation for their comfort and hope for their time in exile as well. So now when God said, that he is bringing a word of comfort, that their sins are pardoned, that the road back to God was there, and that there were plans for restoration. That was not just a false word of empty promises. This was the sure and certain word of God. And that is their hope. God is promising a return. He is promising that he had not forgotten all of the promises made in the covenant relationship with him. And since he was promising this, you knew that it was going to happen. And we can look back where we are in history at time and, and see that it did happen. That all of those obstacles were removed. That Assyria did fall, Babylon fell, and Israel was permitted to return just as God had promised. And that's the message we need to hear today. Again, as much as we often want 
There is nothing on this earth that we can put our full confidence in. All human effort, all human activity, all human endeavors and institutions will all come to an end. They cannot be counted on. But God, in his word, will always be true. And we need to hear that. We need to hear that first in the negative, just like the Israelites. That when God says he knows all that we do and there are sins and activities that we want to participate in that will not be ignored and will not go unjudged, we need to hear and heed that word of warning. But the flip side of that is that when God gives a word of promise to us, we can also depend on that word. God's word is a word that changes us. God's word is a word we can depend on. It is the word that remains forever. It is the good news that he has preached to you. And that is the comfort that we stand on. And that is the great promise that we celebrate. And we do it again this morning as we approach this table. In a world where we fail to fully live up to our promises our commitments, our word, we remember the great gospel message that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And while the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, that he is making all things new. And today we are invited to hear again those great words of comfort that Christ's body and his blood were given for the complete forgiveness of all our, all your sins. All. I get that there are times when that is a hard thing to believe. Because we are and have been constantly let down by people's promises and commitments. And we know how much we have fallen short. And that isn't an invitation to openly and regularly sin. We are invited to participate, as we said last week, feeding our faith, being challenged to prepare by repenting so that God can come into our hearts. But in Christ and by faith, we can hear that word that will stand forever. That in Christ Jesus, we have been forgiven. And have the comfort of knowing that we belong to him. And that is a word that doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from the author of the Bible. It comes from scripture, God's word itself. It is the word of the Lord. A promise to you that you can count on. So today, as we hear and we celebrate those promises together, remember, believe, and ex be excited about the fact that you are forgiven by Christ. It is finished. And now we can go and live for him and build his kingdom until he comes again. Toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, as we contemplate the trustworthiness of your word, we must approach you with a confession that we are untrustworthy. 
And even after we were invited last week to take a particular time to prepare ourselves to repent and to be ready for communion, all of us sitting here this morning can think of ways in which we have failed again. But that is why we come to this table. We come confessing we are sinners. We come to hear anew that word that though we have fallen short, your word never ceases. And we can hear again those incredible promises that through the work of your son, death has been defeated, sin has been destroyed, and we can be in a right relationship with you, pardoned for all our iniquities. Lord, as we hear that news, May we not only receive it to ourselves, but may we go and live as your children. May we live in the promises of your word that you are making us into something new as we seek to live for you. All this we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.